This is Gilbert Andrew Garcia. Join me on my new radio show, A Tip from Gilbert. Talk, inspiration, and prayer every Monday from 11 to 11.45 at 96.9 FM, 1360 AM, KWWJ. Or you can call in at 832-570-8075. Write me at a tip from Gilbert at gmail.com. See you then. All right, let's turn that down just a little bit there, Mr. Producer. Houston, you are with me, Gilbert. Andrew Garcia, tip from Gilbert on KWWJ. Let's just let this play a little bit because I don't know what's going on right now, but there just seems to be madness going on there in Ukraine and Russia. And let's just hope, as we listen to these words of Marvin Gaye, we talk about what's going on. What a beautiful song this is when you think about it. And so powerful. And a man who wrote these incredible songs with a couple of other writers together, was then so tragically killed in an accident with him and his father. But Houston, we are here with Mr. Cambrell Marshall. All of y'all know Cambrell. Everybody, yep, thank you. Yep. My studio audience is clapping because everybody knows Cambrell Marshall, right? Because, Cambrell, I really mean it. You are an icon of the community. Everyone watches you on TV. Everybody watches your show. Everybody wants you to be at their wedding, at their quinceanera. <laughs> Everybody wants you to be the gala chairman, the uh, auctioneer. What's it like to be Canberra Marshall? You know, uh, you know, really, tell me. What's it like to be Canberra Marshall? I have no idea who you just described. <laughs> <laughs> no, but when you, when you walk into um, you know, CVS or Walgreens, do people say, I know that guy. I mean, that's that's that's... You know, it's my community. I mean, people know me yep. because of where I've been. And so it's really a joy when people come up, like in H-E-B yesterday, somebody yep. came up, hey, I just want to shake your hand. I just want to say hello. That's a good thing for me. Isn't and that, that happens. That happens enough to let me know that I need to, you know, pay attention to how I dress when I go out <laughs> in the public. <laughs> well, you know what? You are an ambassador for the city. You really are. You can go ahead and close that song there, Mr. Producer. You're an ambassador for the city. So let's go back to young Cambrell Marshall. Young Cambrell Marshall. Um, what made you say, you know what, I'm going to go into television? I mean, what, what, when you were young, what, what, what did you think you were going to be? What, what was young Cambrell Marshall thinking? I had no idea. Uh, when you, you play that Mar Marvin Gaye uh, song, I, that was my life. What, what's going on? Yeah. I mean, I grew up, uh, my dad was a 30-year Army military, mm -hmm. uh, bless his heart. My mom was an educator. My grandparents were both. My grandfather was the principal of the colored school in Arkansas City, Arkansas. Interesting. Population 650. My grandmother taught there as well. My mother taught there when we were in the, in the community uh, because when my father was stationed in different places, we would go where he was. But when he went to Korea, for example, my mother came and she taught during that period of time. So every summer of my life, I spent in Arkansas. And so I'm, I'll be 70 this year. So that lets you know. You I'll, can't be 70. I'll, I mean, you can't be 69. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Yeah, yeah. So I was 52 is when I was born. So yeah. every summer of my life yeah. was in the 50s and 60s in Arkansas. And so the young Cambrell was very, very, very insecure about what was going to be in my future. Because mm -hmm. all around me were signs telling me that I had to go into a different bathroom or that I had to use a different Do you remember word. that? Oh, absolutely. You, I mean, well, I mean, absolutely. see, young people today, and even I, you know, I'm just a slight generation younger than you. 
I don't quite remember. Now, I've been mistreated. I've been called a dirty Mexican, all those things. My parents tell me, but I don't remember the, because being Corpus, there was, you know, sort of Mexican water fountain and the non-Mexican. So you remember that? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and what was it like to say, I just can't go there? I mean, Well, it, it was terrifying and humiliating uh, and, and tremendously confusing. As a kid in four years old in Germany, I remember the German kids pushed me into a ditch because I wouldn't show them my tail. Is that right? And my older sister came and pulled me out of the ditch and then beat up the kids. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta love sister, right? I, uh, big sister, yeah. yeah. I, she I wasn't beating we, on me. Oh, so. I think we have uh, I think we have Pastor Pastor Cummings. Are you there? I, I am here. Pastor Cummings. Yeah, listening to this amazing interview that you have with Mr. Marshall. It's well, amazing. I will tell you, Pastor, you are, you're an inspiration to me, and we're here with Canberra Marshall. But, you know, Pastor, I know that you've been in the community. You know, your family's been in the community helping so many people. You know, do you, do you just say sometimes, what's going on? You know, sometimes when we see all these things happening, it's hard. Pastor, I'm a weak man. It's hard to keep your faith somehow. What? I mean, what do you tell your, I don't know the right word, your flock, your parishioners, your community there, when people say, Pastor, I just I just don't know what is going on in this world, and I'm losing my faith? Well, I'm going to say this. First of all, you, you're not a weak man. You're a compassionate man. That's what it is. And so when you see bad things happen, you you pour your heart out like so many others. You You give your heart and you... You want to do so much to help. But what I encourage my, my flock and anyone who's listening to is, is to keep walking by faith. Right. Uh, and, I, and it's so ironic you mentioned that I shared with my congregation yesterday. The thing about faith that many of us don't like is we don't know what's going to happen. Right. Right. Or when it's going to happen. But what makes it faith is that we don't know and we don't understand. But we just keep believing that things are going to get better and that God is watching after us. And uh, he knows what's best for us. And so, again, I would just encourage anyone when you don't know what's going on and when you don't know what's going to happen to just keep walking by faith and keep trusting God. Well, Pastor, would you give us a prayer for Houston, too, and for Ukraine and, and you know, and and the Russian people to have some compassion themselves uh, and to let those convoys of citizens that just want to live a better life just to be able to do so. Would you please say a prayer for this whole planet? I will do that. I will do that. Uh, let, let us pray. Father in heaven, we come, God, saying thank you again this morning for this day. God, we thank you for this opportunity uh, that is provided by uh, uh, Mr. Gilbert uh, to lift up your name in, in prayer, uh, to pray for those who are not only local, but for those who are across this globe. God, we come asking again, and asking you because we know that you are omnipresent, which simply means that you are everywhere at the same time. So that means that you are with the Ukrainians. Uh, that means that you are uh, with 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 the Russian government and authorities. God, we ask that you would allow them, first of all, to, to show some compassion and, and some love towards their fellow man. And God, during their time of, of persecution, God, we ask that you would be with uh, the Ukrainians, uh, give them safety, uh, God, provide relief where possible, provide a way of escape for those who uh, have no desire uh, to be there. And God here locally uh, for this city of Houston, we pray for those who may have family members who are over there struggling, that you would give them comfort and peace. God, we pray that uh, you would pray for, that you would continue to lead and guide and give our local leaders wisdom uh, to guide this city, to guide uh, our county. We pray for peace and healing. 
Uh, God, wherever it is needed, we ask that you would uh, look over the homeless, continue to bless uh, and protect our law enforcement and those uh, frontline workers who are working so feverishly to take care of those uh, who may be suffering. Again, God, we're praying to you because we know that not only are you willing, but you are able to hear all and answer all of our prayers at the same time, God. And, and while we wait, God, we pray that you would allow us to have faith, uh, to trust and believe that, again, you are with us and that you are know what's best for us. And so we say thank you. These things we ask you, son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Pastor, thank you so much for calling in. And no, thank you. Well, well, thank you for thanking me. But no, we thank yes, you. Sir. And hopefully I'll see you at service then on Sunday. You will. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pastor. And Houston, we're here again with uh, Cambrell Marshall. We're talking about something very serious because when Cambrell was talking about young Cambrell and before we got into how he got into the broadcasting uh, business, so to speak, he was talking about how he experienced um, racism and things in his life. And you were there in Arkansas. Do you remember the whole Little Rock? Is it Little Rock 8 or Little Rock 9? Do you remember all that? And yeah. do you remember learning about Tulsa and those things? I mean, Arkansas has such a rich, I mean, sad history, but incredible history. But yet there's a lot of beauty to that history. Yeah. Uh, I The Tulsa thing was really late. And I, I didn't know about that until recently, mm-hmm. relatively recently. But in Arkansas, during that time, it was in the news, uh, the Little Rock Nine, mm-hmm. all of that was going on when I was in Arkansas. My father was in Korea during that time. It was also a time that we had a cross burn in our yard in Arkansas. You did not. Yeah, because my grandfather, remember, my grandfather taught at the school. At that time, the town was only 650 people. And within the school itself, the colored school, there were 100 students. All, just only 100. And so my grandfather taught 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grades. My grandmother taught 7th and 8th grades. And my mother taught 1st and 2nd or 2nd and 3rd. I'm not sure which one. So they represented, three people represented six, seven different grade levels of education. And they. Th- what is the biggest, biggest educational thing that can be a problem for those who are trying to be the oppressors? That the the oppressed get educated and learn how right. to get out. That's right. And so that's why that and learn how to defend yeah. themselves yeah. and yeah. how to st- and to, and be empowered and be empowered. By being empowered. And the, we found out the person responsible for the cross with well, a group of people who were clan associated, but one of them was the sheriff's son. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And, so, and and what happens to when the, I mean the sheriff's nothing. It, he he was made to come apologize to my grandfather. That was it. That was it. That was it. And so that left. And I t- I talked to my sister about this uh, earlier this year. My sister's two years older than I am. And I asked her, I said, do you remember that night? She says, oh, like it was yesterday. You can't forget those things. Yeah. So all around us was this area where you were made to feel like, okay, I'm never going to be. A, I'm just happy that I was surrounded by educators. And my mother's father, before he passed, my mother's dad died when, he was, when she was 10. The grandfather I'm telling you about was my step-grandfather. But he was a Methodist minister. Interesting. And so between the Methodist Minister Foundation with my grandmother, who still was very spiritual, we had that as a part of what our upbringing was, even though all the stuff around us was telling us that we were not going to be good yeah. or not going to be as but, good. But you were 10 years old when the, when they, when the cross was out? Eight. Eight. I was eight. Can you imagine how scary that must have been? Oh. Um, well, you can imagine because it happened to you. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, can yeah. you imagine, Houston, I mean, just being a, uh, just an eight-year-old boy when what you should be doing is playing ball in the yard or whatever, and all of a sudden there's this cross being burned in your front yard because 
you are somehow people are trying to tell you you're different when really you're the same we're all the same people we're all one race under god right we're the human race i think we have a caller though cambrell so please excuse me do i have jolanda jones on the phone you do you do i was listening to what cambrell said. can you imagine that joe so yes i can so it's funny you ask because i was sitting and i was listening and there's so many degrees of separation you don't have to go to arkansas to hear those stories so my mother uh, who started out, I mean, my grandparents started out in third ward, you know, they lived in the CUNY homes. My mother went to Blackshire, but at some point, and my, my grandmother was an English teacher. My mother's mother was an English teacher. Uh, so of course, Cambrell's got the teachers in his family. Um, and my, and so my, my grandfather, uh, was military. He was in the army and he also was a Pullman Porter. So he was in that union. He also ended up being a letter carrier. So he was in that union. So I'm a, Union kid, but when they came up, sort of like the George Jeffersons, you know, the Jeffersons, they moved out. Is that you mean? Side. You mean moving on up? <laughs> Is that what you mean? So they thought they moved on. I understand. Up. So they moved out to a place called Glena Manor, right on the East End, and on and they lived on Ninth Street. And so my mother ended up going to school out there uh, for part of her elementary because she started off at Blackshire. But I always wondered when I was a kid, because my mom went to Texas Southern in the 60s. My mother was a part of the movement. She uh, protested with Deloitte Parker, Thomas Melanson, Esther King, uh, Nia Becknell, Lynn Usain, the first black uh, uh, homecoming queen at the University of Houston, which is a PWI, uh, which is a publicly white, uh, a primarily white institution. Mm -hmm. And I was always wondering why my mother had us at these places planning protests um, this is before Wheeler was went through like chaining themselves to trees and stuff. Because my mother got to see a cross burning in their front yard. Wow! So, so the the clan burned a cross in front of my grandparents' home when my mother was a child, and it left it burned literally and, and figuratively an indelible mark in her family and our legacy. And so my mother was a part of the movement. When I was in high school, which by this time, uh, Ailey, again, Galena Manor was one of the first places that black people owned homes in Houston, right? So my mom ended up moving us to Ailey in the in 79 because Ailey had the best school district in the state of Texas. And I was a very, very, very good athlete. So I would go to state. It, but in order to get to states, you have to go to regionals. Well, regionals are right. in passing, right? And let me tell you something. Every time we drove to the regional track meet at San Jacinto Junior College, there was a big billboard on the way to San Jacinto General uh, uh, Community College advertising for recruitment for the Ku Klux Klan. Come on. Grand Cyclops. Or Grand Can you, I mean, Campbell, do you remember any, any recruitment like that? I mean, I can't even imagine what would the picture be? Oh, I mean, how could you have any pride of burning crosses? I mean, that that was... So I'm just telling you that. My, so my prom date is a guy named Troy Beard, and he's, we still stay, uh, talk to this day. He happened to be white, just like I happened to be black. And I wrote a book, and, and Troy actually talks about that experience, about us going to San Jack, which is in Pasadena, to compete. And we would go to the stores, store people refusing to serve 
me because I'm black. Golly. But you don't have to go back to the 50s yeah. or the the 40s to talk about that because it happened right here. Well, hold, in- hold, that, hold that thought, Joe. Cambrell, do you remember things like that? Do you remember recruitments and, you know, I mean – I was too young. Yeah, I was too young at that time, and my my dad was a military guy, so I was, I spent the summers in Arkansas, and then throughout the time he was in Korea, we spent the whole year and a half there. But every summer I'd go back into that, and then I would go back into the environment where mm-hmm. I was in an integrated environment. So for me, it was almost the best of both worlds to help me see what the rest of the world was living like in, in uh, Kansas, for that, example, yeah, very good. not in Arkansas or in an environment which was not segregated and let me know, you know, wait, wait a minute, I, I can do this. There can be things better. There's a better way to do but you this. you got to overcome that. You can think all you want about I can overcome this, but when you go back to that reality. Yep. But I was for, I had really, like Jolanda's parents, you know, positive, forceful mm-hmm. parents who would say, no, 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 you can do, you can be whatever you want to do. My mother was always very insistent on making sure that I was able to speak properly and mm-hmm. be able to enunciate and well, you know, on that note, that's why many of us in the Latino community, our parents, like my parents, made sure we did not speak Spanish out of fear that we would have an accent and therefore be treated like they were treated. Mm. That's the whole reason why some people say you don't speak Spanish. Well, yeah, because things were different. See, I was born in 1963. My parent, my brother, was in '58. Things were really rough back then. Joe, before you sign off, because I'll have you on a show where we can talk okay. about your family. But you know what, Joe? I want to give you a quick one minute, if you don't mind, about um, when is the runoff? I know you're in the runoff. Congratulations. When is the runoff? And when can people, like, you know, the whole bit, when can they sign up and so forth and early voting? Can you give us all that real quick? I, I can, but I've got to tell you some great news. I was so mesmerized by your your American history, which they would probably say is critical race theory, even though it's not, it's the truth. So I sort of got distracted. But I want to tell you that Representative Coleman endorsed me this morning. Oh, how great. For both the runoff and the special election. The special election to fill his unexpired term is May 7th, and the runoff is May 24th. So you've actually got to come out and vote for me twice. Wait a minute. Hold on. Say that again. Say that again, Jolanda. I'm here with Cambrell. We both had the same thought. So you mean there's an election on May the 7th for what? The special election. So uh, Representative Coleman uh, retired effective. Oh, that's it. He retired, so he's out, and we've got to fill him in now as opposed to letting his term run out. Right, which will, well, because 147 has no elected person right now because you know his health uh, has not been well so like, so you got to be seven. voted on to fulfill the special election and yeah. then you got to be voted on to be the rep after that right so the special election will cover from whenever that happens on may 7th until they officially recognize the the, the results until december 31st right which is when his term was right. to naturally end and then the runoff election on may 24th is for the two-year term. You have to run every two years uh, as a state rep. So yeah, so I need for you to come out and vote for me twice. <laughs> and I would love to just, I would love to talk about the things my, my grandmother yeah, was using to get on the bus here. Yeah, I'm gonna have you, Joe, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach out to your folks and, and I'm gonna have you back, okay? Okay, Camarillo, it's great to hear you. It's great to hear you. It's good you know to hear- I love you. And he's, he was a commencement speaker for my son's graduation. 
Well, that, earlier I said he's he's at everybody's quinceanera. He's at everybody's, <laughs> you know, wedding. And, you know, he, really. Uh, Joel, he's there you go. Than me. I was born in 65. He's older than me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Joe. We'll see you soon, lady. It's good to see you. Good to talk to you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Right, Let's thanks, go bye back bye. to something else, Kimberly. So when did the light bulb go off that said, you know what? I think I'm going to go into the television business. It didn't happen until after. I decided to get out of my four-year ROTC scholarship to Arizona State University. Okay, so you were going to go the, a military route. I was going the military route because, remember the, well, you don't remember this, but the draft was very active. During the time Marvin Gaye was writing his song, mm -hmm. I was thinking about, oh, what's my draft number going to be? Yep. And am I going to go straight to Vietnam? I did a story uh, very quickly. Please. Clarence Sasser, who lives here in Rocheron, I did, he came to, uh, he went to University of Houston uh, graduated from uh, the black school in Rocheron in 1965, was at U of H. June of 1967, he got drafted. September 67, he was in Vietnam wow. as a medic. January of 68, he was in a battle as a medic, and from that battle he won the Medal, Honor, Medal of wow. Honor, and he still lives in Rocheron. So I did a story uh, on him, and so it reminded me of that time in that time in 69, 68, mm -hmm. 60. So when I was a senior in high school, 1970, about the, the Vietnam War was still very active. And so rather than be possibly drafted, I said, I'm going to just apply for a four-year ROTC scholarship, mm -hmm. which I did. And I got and I went to Arizona State. But I realized once I got there, there were a couple things going on that I didn't particularly care for. And my draft number came out. It was like really high, like Three, almost 300. So I knew I wasn't going to get drafted anymore. So I said, okay, I'm out. And by that time, I'd, I'd majored in history, and I ran into the, the world's most boring history professor. <laughs> and I changed my major. And th yeah, that, that means history's over. That's right? it. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. I, I changed history my major in sociology. History. And I realized that people who had been in sociology who had graduated were now selling insurance. They weren't doing sociological yeah. work. Okay. Yep. So I said, you know, I'm going into television because television is where I can do sociological kind of work that exposes some of the issues in our community that need to be dealt with. Now, I may not be the one who does the correcting, but I will point out the problems that need to be corrected. That's when I decided that television was where I wanted to be. Very interesting. You know, I, I almost have like a whole segment to hear with you to just talk about older things because I would love to know what it feels like to sort of wait in the paper however you find out because I don't even know what the draft sequence are and am I drafted I mean can you imagine the fear Every, no no one in our time can even imagine look did you find out in the newspaper oh no it was televised televised it was televised it would be a televised would have all the balls uh -uh. The, every every little ball had a date on it and they were in this big drum. Yep. And they would go and they pulled these balls out one by one. And they pulled out the first ball. Okay, this is draft choice number one. And it said, your birth date. You say, oh, Lord. Oh, my and God. Every date. They went all the 365 days they pulled out. Okay, these dates out of the drum. And the order they pulled these dates was the draft. That's, just, the draft fr that's just so frightening. I mean, today, I don't even think young people can even fathom no, such a no. thing. No. I can go back online and look up. Um, the the date the year that my draft number came out and see when um, December seventeenth yep. what date what draft number was December seventeenth right wow and I can look at that and I can realize because there are people who my same age whose draft numbers were like fifty or sixty they were gone they got drafted oh my goodness and then so, no no telling if they made it 
made yeah, it. Yeah, that's just true. Hold, hold so, that thought. I know we have another caller here. Do we have a caller there? Yes, there is. Danielle, speak to me. You got uh, Cambrell Marshall here. You got a question for Cambrell or for me? This is a tip from Gilbert. I was calling in for Cambrell. I was saying. Go ahead. Go ahead. We can hear you. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Being a public figure, it seems to come as second nature for you. And I was just calling to say, I would have guessed that you would be would have become a movie star. <laughs> <laughs> I think you got a fan out there. Oh, you, you, boy. you got a fan yeah. out there. Yeah, that's great. And, 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 and let me ask you this, Danielle. If he were, if you can imagine <laughs> Cambrell Marshall in the movies, would he be like a Tom Cruise and riding on the plane or this and that? Or would he be a um, Owen Wilson, you know, there with J-Lo in the audience? Marry me. He's like, what? Yeah. I mean, what, what do you think? I would say Owen Wilson. Yeah. Or, or would he be? Or would he be like Samuel Jackson and always like just? He's just always mad somehow. Samuel Jackson. <laughs> you know? No, I can't see him yeah. mad. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I, ironically, every year at my grandfather's school, this this school I was telling you about in Arkansas City, every year it was a tradition to have a school play. And so everybody had to take part in the school play. So I was an actor, Daniel. Oh, yeah. But only on that okay. level at that little school in Arkansas City, Arkansas, 650. And unfortunately, my acting flame went out. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, Danielle, when you see him get an Academy Award, you know it came from you. Okay. Thank you, Danielle. For, thank you for calling in. Thank you. So, Cambrell, let's yeah. go back. So then you said, I want to go into TV. Right. So how does one, did you just like, you know, go through, where are some TV stations? I'm, I'm applying and I'll do anything. You know what? I'm here right now because I'm glad we're on a show that deals with spirituality and inspiration because I'm here and I got into this business because God opened doors for me that Amen. I didn't know were there. I just didn't know. I was a student at Arizona State University. Uh, my professor, his name was Ben Silver, came to me and says, you know what, um, I want to see you after class. I said, okay, fine. I went in after class. He said, I want you to know that I have, there's an opening here in, in Phoenix for uh, a position. And um, I, I want you to know that it, it, it could be a great job for you because you are a student now. It could get you in the business. But I'm not going to tell you where that job is. And I said, oh, well, he said, because you were late to my class a couple of times and you missed once, too. And so that tells me that you I said, whoa, wow. So I said, let me let me get this straight. So you call me in to tell me about a job that you're not going to tell me about. He said, yeah, that's it. And I said, you know what? And I started thinking, there's my mom working yeah. right now. My mom was saying, count to 10, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Count to 10. Yeah. Those lessons your mother tells you, mm -hmm. when, you know, you want to just go in yep. this angry yep. black man type thing. And I said, you know what? You're right. I was wrong. I, I disrespected you by not being in class and so forth and so on. And, and he said, okay, fine. I said, I said, hopefully one other time I'll be able to get an opportunity like this. The next morning, I got a phone call at my apartment. In those days, there was no cell phones. Called me at my apartment and said, go see Bill Close. He's at the C CBS station here in Phoenix, K-O-O-L-T-V, Phoenix. Cool TV. Cool TV. I called Bill Close, and Bill Close said, okay, here's the deal. We need somebody on our air who happens to be black because we don't have anybody who's representing that, that part of our community. This is before the right. affirmative action. He said, but here's the deal. He said, being black may get you a chance to come in and apply for this job, but if you don't have short hair, we don't want you. If you have sideburns below your earlobes, we don't want you. We're a conservative station. Mm -hmm. We don't want you. I said, I can go a week without shaving and nobody will know it at this point. <laughs> 
So <laughs> I rode my bike down for my interview because yep. at that time I was living in an apartment by myself. I had very limited funds. My parents were helping me out with $100 a month. Yep. That was a lot of money. A lot of money. I yeah. was getting, but by when the, you're a student. Yeah. By, the, by the time the interview came, my gas tank was empty. Mm-hmm. So I rode my bike to the interview. And when I rode my bike to the interview, I went in and they gave me a newspaper that had a sports section in it and said, write a script that you're going to do. So I wrote a script from that, that newspaper. And you had never done this before? Never done it before. So you're like, write a script, okay. And you wrote it up and did they wrote say, now say it to me? No, no. They took me into the studio and they put it in script form and then I did the I did it. On the air? Uh, no, it was a, a, oh, to try, them, a to tryout. Them. Yeah, yeah. And, and so you just said, oh, ladies and gentlemen, and the Dallas Cowboys, the Houston like, Texans beat the Cowboys. Like, yeah. and I, they, I forget it was back in 1974 or 75 when that happened. And so. did they say... You're hired, or no. did they say, go home no. and we'll call you? There were 13 other people who were doing the wow. same thing. And so they said, I'll tell you what, we'll let you know. And that was in November. And by the time December came around, it was close to Christmas time. And I said, do you, I called them. I said, have you made a decision? No, we'll let you know. And I said, because I'm going on my semester break. I'm right. going driving to California. To, and he said, well, we'll let you know. And I said, Ugh. I drove to California on December 22nd. They called me on December 23rd. Come on. And told me, you got the job. And I said, that's great. That is fantastic. I said, so my spring, my, my winter break is over in January. No, no, no. We need you back here on December 26th. Like three days, the day after Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So that was the day I started at KOOL TV, Channel 10, the CBS station in Phoenix, as, as an observer in that station. And I went on the air the following week. Come on. Went, went, no week. training, no nothing. None. They just said, son, Yep. there you go. He said this. He said, look, you either have the basic talent that's going to do this or you don't. And there's no sense in us waiting long enough to find out. There's no sense in waiting much longer than a week. We'll know or not know. You know what? He's right. You know what? He was right? It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. It was awful. Come on. Oh, I, I still have some. Vi- Tell you what. One of these days. Uh, I'll bring a videotape. I want to see it. Of not the first one because yeah. that was humanely destroyed. Yeah. Were you nervous? <laughs> was was that nervous? I mean, was that was what I was, nervous? But, but is that what it was? It was nervous. Have you seen the show broadcast news? Yes, I where have. William Hurt, God rest his yeah, soul, yeah. just died I yesterday. I saw that. Yeah. Okay, the guy who was sweating profusely. Yes, yes. That was me. <laughs> hold, hold that thought because we have a Dr. John on the line here. Dr. John, are you there? I'm here. How are you doing this morning? We're great, Dr. John. You have me, Gilbert Garcia, a tip from Gilbert. Talk, inspiration, and prayer. And thank you for calling because I have Canberra Marshall uh, on the line. I mean, not on the line, excuse me, here in the studio. So what do you got for us there, doctor? Good morning. Good well, morning well, to you. Well, I, I, I was just watching the show, and uh, uh, I, fit, I first met Kimbrel, uh at a fun run in Lake City at the Clear, Lake, uh, Clear Creek High School. At that time, I didn't know who, he was my fraternity brother. I didn't know that he was going to be as great as he is. But he inspired people at uh, not only at those fun runs, but in that Clear Lake area. And, and, and I found out later throughout the city of Houston. So I'm just glad to see that he is on your program. And, and some of the things that you've been discussing this morning, I didn't know about him even now and being his fraternity brother. But I'm, I'm just so glad and happy that he is on your program today. What a Thank great, you. what a great call, right? Thank you. I mean, how does that make you feel? <laughs> All right. I mean, you got to feel great about that, Doctor John. I'm, that's amazing. I'm always humble about these sort of things, so I'm I'm sorry I don't I can't put the face with the name at this point, but I'm glad to hear from you again. I don't remember that particular race. I, it could have. I was a child then. Were we both children then? We were both children. Yeah, well, then. Uh, yeah well, that was in 2005. Okay, yeah, we were both kids. Yeah. So. Yeah, we were both kids. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> 
Well, Dr. But, John, that's super good. Dr. John, what do you do these days? Well, um, well, I'm working with Judy with uh, Foster International Communications, and other than that, I'm just you know uh, doing projects in the community. Oh, but that's okay. my main Judy focus. Foster. Now. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, wonderful. We all know yeah. Judy. Judy's an icon of the community, Absolutely. so that's wonderful. Yeah, we appreciate that. Well, what a great story that um, you remember him on the fun run and everything. So, Dr. John, we thank you so much for calling in. I thank think you, you made his day. Thank you, sir. Appreciate okay. it. Okay, all right. Good to hear from Take you. care. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So we're coming back. So broadcast news, uh, you were all just like, there you, are, you know. It was awful. Trust me. <laughs> it, was, it was awful. Well, it must have been good enough because here you are. Because how many years has it been now? 46. 46 years? 46. So you should know that every year after that, I, I called Bill Close, was my news director who hired me. Yep. And I said, from that I thanked him, obviously, for, yep. the, for the position. But every time I got a new job opportunity, I would call him and thank him. For the reason for him getting letting me in the business, what because a wonderful if thing! I had been where he had been, I wouldn't have given me a shot. I, I just wouldn't have. But you know what? But he saw something. That he I saw didn't. something. Yeah. See, that's the yeah. key. And what a great mentor to be able to see that and to give you a break. Oh gosh, he was a strict grammarian. Yeah, a strict grammarian. He would say, "I had this habit uh, on the air." I'd say, "Yeah, it was a, it was a pretty good game yesterday." And he said, "How pretty was it? Was it pretty like a picture?" Was it pretty like a little girl? Oh, yeah. Was it? Pre- I said, no, you know what I mean. He said, no, no, no. Language is supposed to be used the way you intend it to be used. Pretty is a throwaway word. Right. Use the word you want to describe the game. Don't say, that's a throwaway word. Wow. So a- he would wait. And I used to say, um, uh, he would ask me to, at the end of every show, to leave on underneath his desk how many times I use the word pretty. No. Yeah. What great, I mean, what a great guy to take you under his wing to make you better by helping you tough. with your diction, helping you with tough. your English. Yeah, tough. Absolutely. But you know what? That was great. Oh, it is. And even today, I, I was, uh, yesterday at work, I heard something said on our air and I just cringed because I knew, oh, God, Clarabelle Costello, my seventh grade English teacher, would be turning over in her grave <laughs> if she heard somebody use that word, well, or use the in, the in the sentence with a preposition. So, How dare you? So let me ask you this. Do we have another caller there? Oh, my goodness. We have another caller. Is there a Carrie here on the line? Carrie, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Well, Carrie, okay. how are you? You have me, Gilbert Garcia, tip from Gilbert, with the... Cambriel Marshall, Hi, what Carrie. you got for him or me? Hello, everyone. Hi, Hi Cambriel. Uh, I just want to tell you I enjoy watching you every weekend and on Newsmakers on Sundays. And I wanted to know, you know, we have such volatile weather here in Houston, mm-hmm. hurricanes, floods, snow, you name it, we got it. And people are looking to you for, you know, all the information and also for some kind of support. How are you able to keep a calm demeanor reporting during some of this bad weather and not get into the hype or get excited oh, like gosh. other channels? Very yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I, it, it's a really, really important responsibility when you're in that position, especially when you have severe weather coming, hurricanes and that sort of thing. And I've always treasured the ability to be able to be calm when things are crazy around me. 
And so I know that viewers, I always liken to the, when you get on a plane and you're flying, you're going to go someplace and you look in the cockpit and you see the pilots feverishly looking through a, a book to figure out how they're going to fly the plane. <laughs> you're going to be really nervous about yeah, that. that's right. And so the same thing is true when you turn on TV. If you have somebody who's like flying all over the place, uh, being just overhyping what's going on. It's not appropriate, number one. And number two, it serves no good purpose. People right. in, a, in, a, in an emergency situation, people have to be calm. Yeah. And they're not going to be calm if you don't exude calmness in your voice or what's going on. When Hurricane Harvey was coming in and uh, Britta Merwin and I were on the air for hours and hours at a time, we prayed before we went out on the air. No kidding. Absolutely. And because we wanted to make sure that we had God through us saying the right things at the right time in the right way, that we could be an effective source for our community, whether it's coming or whether it's on us. And so that's very important to be able, and I just happen to be, I, I believe that. And so I can tell you that there are people in my business who, who aren't spiritual, but that's okay. I am. And so I ask for that guidance when I'm on the air doing those kinds of things. So I take it very, very seriously. Um, and I've always had a passion for weather for a long, long time. So um, I'm always in wonder about weather and what goes on, but I'm also... Uh, clear about my responsibility when things are going bad and how we can be of help to people. Whether it's whether it's in the anchor position uh, on the news or whether it's in the weather position, either way, it's important to be able to do that. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for that question. Well, Cambrell, let me come back to you sure. because so what? When did take us to? You are I guess in Phoenix, right? And then the offer came I guess to come to Houston. Take take us to how you got here. Okay, I'll say. So I I was in I was in Phoenix for from. December 75 until June of 79 mm -hmm. at one station, at that station in Cool. Yep. At that time, I went to Detroit ah, for okay. seven months. That's all. I got there in June, and I left in January. But I got married in Detroit in September of 79. And then I went to Connecticut. And I went from Connecticut in 80 to 85. First, for a job in Connecticut. Right, okay. right. And I went to Connecticut from 80 to 85 as a sports director, a sports anchor. And in 85, I was recruited to go to Miami, where I was for the next 13 years as sports director at first the ABC station and then later on at the CBS station. So that was from uh, 85 until 99. Is that common to move from different cities? I mean, it was it all yeah. the same network? No, it wasn't. It okay. was, in my case, when I went to Detroit, somebody happened to see me on TV who was in Detroit, and they asked me if I wanted So I went to Detroit. Uh, and when I went to Detroit, that was part of the Post Newsweek company. Mm. At that time, Washington Post, Newsweek magazine mm -hmm. also owned television stations. Um, and so when I was there, once I got there, I realized, okay, this isn't going to work. And they said, you know, it, it, we love you. We want you to stay. But if you want to go, will you transfer to one of our other stations? Ah. So I transferred to Connecticut. Uh, and when I was there for five years, and then I transferred to Miami. Another affiliate Another of affiliate that? Of wow. Post Newsweek. Okay, Post I Newsweek. see. And, in, and I was there at that station in Miami at Post Newsweek, and the general manager there, for some strange reason, decided he wasn't going to renew my contract. And that was the first time that ever happened to me, which meant that you're going to be out of a job. Mm -hmm. So uh, the CBS station heard that I might be leaving, and they said, come on over as our sports director. And in Miami? In Miami. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. And, and there's another way God opened doors. I've been praying for an opportunity to do something other than sports because I've been in sports now for, at that time, 16 years or something like that. And I wanted to do more. Hurricane Andrew coming into Miami in 1992. At that time, in my station, the CBS station, the main anchor's name was John Hambrick, was on his ranch in Texas. 
The second guy who would have been the number two guy to be on the air there was helping to get his daughter into college in Virginia. Oh, my goodness. So they called on me, the sports director, to sit in to do hurricane coverage oh my goodness. on our anchor desk. That's like the old-fashioned, like the famous story of Dan Rather and yes. how he was discovered. Exactly. That's what happened. Exactly, except I was in the studio. Yep. I wasn't out in the field. Yep. And after that, they said, hey, you know what? We really enjoyed the way you were able to be calm and do that. Would you like to come over to the news side? That was God answering my prayer. So I went over to, the, to news, and within a year and a half, I became the 5, 6, and 11 o'clock anchor in Miami for the next few years up until 99 when I came to Houston. So how did Houston go? They said, we have a job. Was, it's, it's not the same network. No. Nope, so nope. this is a whole new shebang, whole new, new players. shebang, sitting there. In, did you apply? Nope, or or, or nope. they said, Kimbrell? No. I was sitting there in, in December 1978. The station had a new general manager. Subjectively, he came in and said, you know what? Yeah, I want to make a change. And uh, we're going to go a different direction. We're not going to renew your deal. So the 98, 98. This is in, in 98. 98, said, okay. You it? said 78, but I, oh, know, yeah, I know what you meant, 98. 98, yes. Yeah. So that meant that was an, the second time yeah. in my career that someone came in and said, we're not going to renew your deal. So I said, whoa, that's not good. Yeah. So and you're getting a little older, too, so you're thinking. Getting a little older. Yeah, you're thinking, you know, wait a minute. 40 yeah. at that time, I yeah. think. I forget how old I was yeah. at the time. So I started looking. And so my last day on the air there was like January 27th of, of 99, and I started here on June 1st of 99. One of my, I call my former boss, who was my general manager for the Post Newsweek stations, who is now the president of Post Newsweek companies. Wow. I said, hey, I'm, this is what happened. He says, I can't believe that happened. If there's anything we have, I'll, you know, we'll see what we can do. Next thing I know, I got a call from the general manager in uh, Houston and said, hey, we hear that you might be available. I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you doing anything so, well? Yeah. So I flew out and they ended up hiring me here to do the noon four and five with Dominique. And so wow. I did that for five years. Well, let me ask you this. Did you ever think when you came here, you were going to be here this long? I mean, well, did you know in your heart, your spirit that this is going to be my last? I will tell you that I thought that every place I moved. No kidding. Yes. Yes. My, you can't go into a community and think I'm passing through. Yeah, yeah. That's if you that, yeah. do that, you're not going to really understand the community. You're not going to want to give back to the community. You're not going to want to know the movers and shakers in right. that community. So every place I went, I felt, okay, this is it. Right. I'm going to stay here. What's interesting is this has been it. This is it. Oh, this is going to be it. This is going to be it. This is it. And so, I, you know what? Do you remember the show uh, Carol Burnett? Yes. Remember the end of the show? They always had that song. I'm yeah, so, so glad we had this, this time, time together. together. Do yeah. you know it's already time? Just about. I got two more years. No, it's already time on the show. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. Can you believe it? I and thought you were talking about my career. No, no, no. Your career oh, is going to be fast and furious. I thought you were ending it no, for me already. No, would you believe we're out of time? <laughs> no. 45 minutes goes like that when oh, you're having fun. Man. And we have another caller. That, I, I'm so sorry, caller. Please call in next week because we're just out of time. But I so appreciate everybody for calling in. Mr. Producer, hit my song. We're going to be on Facebook a few minutes after. And you know what, Houston? This is an icon of the community, right? He's been here. He's been that steady hand. He's been that good friend of everybody. That's how you feel when you're with him. Cambrell Marshall. So please, whenever you see him, give him a hug and give him a thank you. Shake his hand. And you know what? For that one caller, you know what? I think he still has time to be a movie star. <laughs> I think there's still time. So let's go back to what's going on in this crazy world. And let's all pray that somehow, remember... Um, the Grinch, how the Grinch stole Christmas, how the Grinch's heart grew two sizes. Let's just hope that somehow the Lord touches that heart 
of Putin and gets his heart to grow two sizes so we can put the end to this madness. Amen. 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 All right, Houston, please enjoy Marvin Gaye. What's going on here in this last minute? Talk to me so you can see. What great words, right? I mean, what great words. What's going on? And I, can you imagine the time? Oh, I can't. Yes, I mean, yeah. <laughs> when this came out, it became an anthem. Yeah. For uh, a whole community. I, I, I can just, well, I can't imagine. Because remember, we wrote that song because a lot of the people who were being drafted were men of color. Yep. Because they yep. were the ones who weren't in college at the time. Yep. A lot of times that was the case. So the percentages of those being taken. And so their daddies couldn't get them out and nope. all those sorts of things yeah. and, yeah. and put them in the National Guard or whatever, how they would get them out or whatever. You know, you read those stories. Or pay a doctor to say you have a foot yeah, problem. Yeah, foot problem. I can't march. I have flat feet. Yeah. Oh, boy. Don't we know it? Same thing in Latino community. And in fact, the core was always a way out of poverty for Latinos, right? Absolutely. Uh, the GI Bill and started getting um, all those things. So Houston, I think, Mr. Producer, just let me know when we're off air, off radio, KWWJ, keep walking with Jesus. Are we off? All right, we're, we're off KWWJ, keep walking with Jesus. But let's just stay on. Let's cut off the music because this has been a very fun show for me. Uh, because I always have felt close to you. You've been a good friend of mine these last couple of years in particular, and you've always been gracious to have me and others um, on your show. And we did the uh, um, race, March for the Cure, yeah. race, you know, race for Coleman. Coleman We've yeah. done those things. We're doing, talk a little bit about what we're doing now because I want to introduce it. We probably need to have a whole show on it, but just introduce it real quick for our now we're just on uh, social media. So Houston, Houston 2036 Task Force. Uh, last Juneteenth, I was doing a webinar at KPRC, and uh, was talk- we had uh, Chief Finner on and a few other people on talking about social equity or, or lack of equity right. within the community. And one of the people watching was Larry Payne, mm-hmm. who has been very much involved in this community for many years, a real servant leader in a mm-hmm. lot of different ways. And he called me up afterward, and he said, you know what, there's probably more we can do rather than do a webinar and move on. Uh, what do you think about maybe focusing on doing something else broad, more broadly about equity issues? When I said, oh, let's talk about it. So conversation after conversation led to us pulling together a steering committee, and we pulled together what we call the Houston 2036 Task Force. 2036 is a good date because that is when Houston would be 200 years. Ah, so very Houston 2036 Task Force, and the challenge was to pull together 36 people who would commit to coming together once a month to be in a facilitated group to figure out ways that we can help make Houston better in terms of equity in health, education, and environment issues. And so that's what they're doing. So we're now three months in. We've had these people come, uh, these, this group of 36 who are from all walks of life, and all, and all of them are cl- uh, type A leadership mm-hmm. kinds of people using, uh, leading or- organizations and doing things in our community who are coming together. And the goal is for them to break off into six groups, two in education, two in health, and two in environment, to figure out, okay, what can we do better? What can we do to change the dynamic as far as equity is concerned? Are there, and there are plenty, there are tons of There's nonprofit so organizations stuff, yeah. that are trying to do things. 
Are they doing what needs to be done? Are there ways that we can consolidate some of these groups? To Are make they even better? communicating? Do they even know what they're eating? Because they could be doing the same thing. Absolutely. Or they could be doing completely different things, and then synergies come together when they come together. Exactly. Well, Duplicating. What, what's so the, the end result here? So what's going to happen? This goes on for? June until June. And then June, we're going to bring together a group of what was going to be 12. Now it's like 16 different civic and business leaders, of which you are one, who are going to receive these groups. These groups, they get six presentations they need to make. Your group of civic leaders were made up of a lot of good people who, you know, with you yep. and... And, and, uh, and thank and, you for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. We have the incoming and outgoing uh, heads of Kinder Institute. Mm -hmm. We have the Greater Houston Partnership Leadership. We have the head of the Urban League. We have a Bettina Beach, who's a population health director at UH. We have Dr. Kianta Moore, who is amazing uh, medical doctor slash lawyer. So all these people are going to receive these recommendations. And from those recommendations, the group that you're in are going to say, okay, this one is the one we think ought to be embraced and pushed forward. Or these two are the ones who ought to be. And so what we think of is that is just the jumping off point. Because once that decision is made, then it's like, okay, now how do we do this? Mm -hmm. Now, I've asked the group of 36, the, the task force people, that the recommendations that they come up with is going to need to include how to put that into action. Because uh, one of the things we've had... Like a, a roadmap. A roadmap. Yeah, absolutely. We've yep. had problems with people who come up. You can go on the internet and put Houston Equity, boom, and push... And you get all kinds of yeah. stuff to come up. People have done all kind of research, and it's sitting on a shelf someplace. Uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Lopez Turley over at Kinder, who's going to be taking over Kinder, she presented this past week on education, which was really enlightening on how the educational process in our community is so inequitable yep. right now and what needs to happen to go ahead and change that. So one of her things was, and she was on my Newsmaker show a few weeks ago, she said, the we don't want to have uh, uh, solutions on a piece of paper and there it is. We want to have solutions and how it can be put into action. We want to know how we can make this happen. We want to be proactive and putting plans into place within Houston that can change people's lives, can open doors, can change the equity equation. Which, And, and oh, by the way, I was so disheartened. I was talking earlier about somebody who told me that, oh, equity, that's a flash word. Oh, that's a negative word. We can't really. That's equity. Oh, oh. I said, What? Because they think of it as equity, meaning we're going to give you a position, but we're going to take it away uh, from this guy. Mm -hmm. In order for you to be able to get this position, right. we're going to have to take you out of your position. I, I see. Said, no, 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 no. That's not what it's all about. We're talking about have people have equitable opportunities, not saying we got to open the door and say, oh, you got to go. There's this incredible thing on YouTube. I, for, I forgot where, what it is or this or that, but there's like some summer camp and there's a camp counselor and there's all these yes. young people there of all genders and colors and this and that. And he says, okay, and, he, and they don't know what they're about to do. Right. And he says, okay, I want, if you... Parents, if your parents are both married and in the same household, take two steps forward. And he goes, if you went to private school, take two steps forward. If he went through all these things that you don't think about, but they were all essentially things that are either um, give you an advantage, an edge, or uh, things associated with uh, higher income. If you go to a private school, if you, uh, you know, all, and all of a sudden you notice all the white males are in the front. And the people of color are very back. He goes, now imagine if I said, we're going to now race to some marker ahead. And this is where you're starting from in the race. Do you think this is fair?
Yeah. I mean, it's just this inc- incredible thing. Right. And all those young people were like, wait a minute, I, I, I'm getting something here. Right. Things were clicking in their minds. And that doesn't mean that those people whose parents were married and that, yep. all that, it doesn't mean that they've done anything wrong. That's right. There's nothing negative at all about where they are in life. Nothing at all. That's exactly right. But it just shows you how the game is stacked. And what we really need to do is those that don't have some of those core support groups, we need to help them. And at the end of the day, they happen to be those that do not have enough support, happen to be people of color primarily or lower income folks. And if you look at this country and in this city and everything else, wealth inequality is probably really the root of all the problems. Whether it's the criminal justice and, and everything going on with the prison overcrowding and prisons, whether it's unequal access to education, unequal access to health care, that really is an issue. It is an issue, and one of the challenges in having that conversation is having someone understand that that is a problem, but it doesn't mean that you need to give up half your income right. to solve it. That's exactly right. And that's where a lot of the, because I have very good friends, I'm a hardcore independent, so I, I can tick off Republicans yep. and Democrats equally. Yeah. <laughs> and so I have Touché. really good friends of mine who are, who are conservative-leaning who think, well, you know, that's... That may be a problem, but, you know, don't ask me to give, you know, my income is what it is because I my income tax, I shouldn't give up a little bit more because I got mine. Let them have their. Yep. Yeah. I, see, I, I get that. But there should be some empathy somewhere that will say that if you give up a little bit of what you have, if you pay a little bit more to these other causes, then that lifts all the tide. That's that exactly right. All boats. And in reality, they don't see that. If you don't do something to get these communities up, the costs about not taking positive action are greater right. for society. And, you know, what always gets me is people like, well, wait a minute, I made it on my own without government assistance. It's like, wait a second. You know, how come you get to write off donations off your taxes? How come you get to write off your interest on your mortgage? In other words, there are many things that you're taking advantage of that government did, and maybe you're not recognizing it. Government's the one, and unions and labor that got us a five-day work week, health insurance, all these things. So don't think that somehow you just did this. There are many peoples along the way that worked hard, they fought, gave up their lives, whether it's the right to vote, all these things. And so um, now I'm going to my Democrat uh, side, but at the end of the day... I I can tick you off. There you you go. At at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. We all want the same thing. We want a good life. We all want to, you know, be able to retire and live comfortably. We all want things better for our children. We all want the same things. You know what I, one of my uh, very conservative friends uh, often tells me is that, you know, we don't want to continue to be reminded about all the hardships you people are having. You know, it's a, <laughs> okay. okay. No, I'm sorry. Uh, well, I'm sorry. Say that again. Yeah. <laughs> we don't, they won't keep reminding us, you know, that's why when Jolanda mentioned the, you know, the critical race theory thing, which has been a co-opted term that now has become a political right. thing. It's like, you know, so, uh, and I always like to, and I, I will tell you, like I'm, I'm equally good at taking off both sides. Yeah. So I will tell them, I said, okay, so let me get this right. So once upon a time, um, white men made laws that kept black people in slavery, and then they made laws that maybe got them out of slavery, but kept them in uh, lesser than positions, segregated schools, that sort of thing. White men made those laws that put black people in those positions and Hispanics. Right. And now 
some of those same people are making laws that will say that we can't talk about it. That's right. Like it never happened. Never happened. It never happened. We can't talk about it. And so I look at that and it's, okay, come on now, really? And so um, I, I will say it's all about uh, messaging. Messaging and, and, and Republicans have been really good at messaging. They yes, are really good at they messaging. Are. My view is the sooner we can talk about it, the sooner we can come to peace with it and come to terms with it, and the sooner we can address it together. In other words, I, I go the opposite. We should talk about it. We should be sensitized to it. It uh, doesn't mean anyone's at fault because it was ancestors or whatever. At the end of the day, we should talk about it so we can understand where people are coming from and the whole thing about you know forgiveness, right? And that's the best thing possible is to face what happened, uh, acknowledge it, and make sure it doesn't happen again. And so isn't that always a challenge, though, when you have a conversation with someone who, especially a situation, a conversation on that topic, because we, if we're going to have a conversation, we have to have an understanding of some sort. That's going to require me to drop my preconceived ideas about all of this. And I have to be open to accept what you're saying. Yep. And most of the time, people are listening to you kind of, but they're thinking about how they're going to respond. Mm -hmm. They're not thinking, they're not... One of the best things that ever happened to me, I'm a member of the American Leadership Forum, so, and one of the best things that happened to me, one of our retreats was all about listening. And it was about how to listen. I was coming home and I'd say, hi, honey, how you doing? Oh, I'm great, I'm great. And she would start telling me about her day. And she was telling me about her day for about five or 10 minutes, but I was gone mentally right. after about 30 seconds or a minute. And I realized I was really not hurting anybody but her and me because I wasn't able to hear. And if I can't hear from her what's going on, I can't react to her that's right. in a positive, uh, respectful way. And that's the same thing with conversations. When we talk about these difficult conversations we have to have. You're right. We need to have those conversations. You've got to have them. You've got to be willing to have a conversation and drop and leave your preconceived notions at the door when you come in to have them. Because they're going to be challenging. And people aren't ready to do that. Most people aren't. Well, you know, I, I feel like we could go on and on and on and on. And, and we could. I'm just going to have Can I have you back? Sure. And and because I want to explore a couple of other things with you. Um, so we'll just have to do it again. But okay. I, I want to close by just saying that, you know, we are all members of one race, the human race. Amen. And we all want the same things. And so let's be open minded. Let's care for one another. Let's hug one another. And I think we've got to spend more time with our children. And remember, there's a rule that we instituted a couple of years ago. I'm so glad we did it. And, you know, I know this sounds silly, Cambrell, but at my house, when we eat dinner, whether it's a restaurant or home, there are no phones at the table. Mm. So parents, no phones at the table. Um, Cambrell, like I'm going to give you the last word. Um, one of the best things that ha I have a lot of best things that happened in my life throughout my life. And this guy is one of them. Uh, when you meet people like Gilbert, you know that there are people who have similar ideas about how we can touch people's lives throughout the world. And you have an opportunity to open doors that you might not otherwise open. Um, I've been in that place. You've been in that place where doors might have been closed and now they're open for various reasons. And we have opportunities to touch the life of somebody else in a positive way. And if we have that opportunity, we should take it. We should do whatever we can within our power to help make their life better if Amen. we have that potential. Amen to that. Houston, you're here with me, Gilbert Garcia. Tip from Gilbert. We're here, of course, at uh, KWWJ, but...
I want to remind everyone, we are 1360 AM, 96.9 FM. Call in. Of course, of course, of course, it's your show. 832-570-8075. My email again, atipfromgilbert, no dots, no nothing, at gmail.com. We are with one of the city's treasures, Mr. Cambrell Marshall, and we'll see you next time. This is Gilbert Andrew Garcia. Join me on my new radio show, A Tip from Gilbert. Talk, inspiration, and prayer every Monday from 11 to 11.45 at 96.9 FM, 1360 AM, KWWJ. Or you can call in at 832-570-8075. Write me at a tip from Gilbert at gmail.com. See you then.